Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. The topic of firstborn sonship. Uh, last week we dealt with session one. I, was, I want to just briefly summarize it and then go on to... Um, session two, if we have the time, we'll see how the Lord leads us. You don't have session two, I have it here, it's already prepared. Um, but I'll give this to you and we'll work through this on Wednesday. But you have session one, okay? And uh, basically in session one, what we did was we sketched in very broad terms all that, in, that encompasses the reality of the firstborn son. This is something that God is stressing to the body of Christ now. Um, each epoch in t- at each epoch in time, God comes to the earth in a particular way. God will come to each church in Revelation in a particular way. He does not describe himself the same to every church. He describes his person, how he comes to the church, was necessary for the empowerment of that church to perform its function in its jurisdiction. On Friday, I shared with the young people how God came to Gideon as the Lord is peace. Why? Because Gideon was dealing with the Midianites, which mean strife and contention. So God comes to him in the attributes that are necessary for him to imbibe, because those attributes are really his empowerment to deal with the enemy. Your authority in this season is going to be derived from your identity and not from your shouting. If a man is confident in who he is, he can whisper and he can whisper, and that whisper can be authoritative, as opposed to a man shouting, ranting, and raving, and does not know who he is in, in God. When a judge passes sentence, let's say with the with the recent Oscar case, when the judge ultimately will sit after hearing all the evidence for and against, and he has to make a verdict, guess what? He can whisper it. It will be done. Why? He speaks with an authority vested in his identity. In your identity is your authority. And I want to encourage you. Much is going to exude forth from the recovery of our identity in God. You're going to see where in the past you had to do much activity in your flesh to get results. Now in the season, you're going to function from an authoritative identity position in God. And from that position, things are going to happen. A traffic officer, if you're speeding, simply has to come out of his bush, which they normally do. <laughs> right? Just simply has to come out of his bush, pick up that white glove, not even say anything. And no matter who you are, even if you're the president or the deputy president of this country, by virtue of what he stands in, he has authority to execute function. And just one hand, and you have to obey. Everyone lift up your hand. I like what, what Quentin alluded to, fingerprints. right? To, to confirm your identity in South African law, all they need to do is take your prints. God has vested tremendous power in these hands. Amen? Everyone say the right hand. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly, the Bible says. Say it again, right hand. 
right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The image for hand in the scripture is the capacity to execute function. Everyone do this. Now, talk to your hand. Now, don't say talk to the hand. Say, <laughs> you're talking to your own hand, right? Say, I have power. To do all that God has called me to do. Say, these hands will do mighty exploits for God. But my authority will flow forth from who I am in Christ. My authority is rooted in my identity. I've chosen you, Gideon, mighty man of valor. He says, who me? I'm least. My tribe is Manasseh. My family in Manasseh is the least in Manasseh. In my family, I'm the least of the, all the kids in the family. I'm right at the bottom of the pile. Right? God couldn't do nothing with Gideon until God sorted his identity out. Because when Gideon looked at the bigness of the task, Midian, an historical enemy, plagued us for years and years, God had to literally restore his identity to him. God's view of him was mighty man of valor, Mighty warrior. And you always have to adjust your perspective of yourself to align itself with the correct estimation of you, which is God's view of you. See yourself as God sees you. This is the big challenge in the world today. So God comes, and let me say this again. The point I want to make is how God comes to you is necessary for your own imbibing of his nature presented to you because that is your authority to execute the particular function that God has called you to do in the world. Amen? So the Lord comes to Gideon as the Lord is peace. So Gideon, after the Bible says, I fear, he says, because I've seen the Lord. And he builds an altar and he says, the Lord is peace. What did he see? He saw Jehovah Shalom. He saw the Lord in his peace constitution, attribute or character. And beholding, he was changed. What he saw, he became like. So when he stands before the Midianites, guess what? He's not standing as a Manassehite. He's not standing as least in the family of my father. He's standing literally as the Lord is peace. What he saw of the Lord became who he is. Or who he was in his time. And his identity was his authority to function. When you know who you are, you can walk in a room and be unthreatened by anybody. When you know, when you know who you are in Christ, you can walk in a room. And no matter what the earthly perception of you by natural men is, it will not dent your self-worth, your self-concept, how you feel about yourself. It will not easily dislodge you. So many, because they have an identity crisis, are toppled in terms of the estimation of themselves. And when in the presence of others, you feel less than. Or you, maybe you feel superior to, based on a low estimation of the group. But no matter what the context, when you know who you are in God, you exude a rest. You exude a, a confidence. Everyone say poise in the spirit. What I want to develop is a poise, a, a, a real rest rooted in who we are in God. Amen. So basically the church's problem today is a problem of identity. Okay. 
um, many people have an identity crisis. And we're moving away from identity in crisis to identity in Christ. The crisis must be replaced by the Christ. If you don't know who you are and have issues about how you were brought up and all of the disadvantages you have to contend with to make things um, rosy and to correct things in your life or to have some dream and ambition that you could fulfill and you deem yourself ineligible, unable to do that simply because of your mindset, then the first thing God has to just about you is how you feel about yourself. Firstborn sonship. Everyone say firstborn. God made you His firstborn son. That is a tremendously empowering understanding. If you can get a grip on this, it is empowering to you and it's disarming to the enemy. Say it again. Your identity in Christ is always empowering to you, but disarming to the enemy. When Gideon imbibed the nature of the Lord is peace, Midian stands for strife and contention. Peace disarms strife. Peace is the antidote to contention. Right? Romans 16, 20 says the God of peace will soon um, trample or, what does it say? Crush Satan underneath your, underneath your feet. It's peace that defeats satanic agenda. Amen? And so I really want to encourage you. Who wants to be both empowered, but both your empowerment is going to lead to your disarming of everything Satan brings against you? It's two-pronged. It's like a dual process. I get my self-worth restored, and in that process, I can walk executing God's will in any arena, and everything has to bow to the, 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 the identity I have in Christ, right? Which is... For our context, I'm his firstborn son. I'm not just his son, I am his, his firstborn son in Christ. And we said last week, belief informs behavior, perspective influences practice. How you feel and think about yourself will determine the success you have with which you execute your life. How you live life, how successful you are in life all hinges upon your mentality, your thought process, what you think about yourself. When God called Jeremiah, God said, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I, I knew you. Everyone say, God knows you. The word know there is yada, which means to have subjective, intimate, experiential knowledge of. God is not just saying, hey, I knew you, Dylan, that, when's your birthday? 22nd. 22nd, I knew, God is not saying, Dylan, I knew that on the 22nd of May in a certain year, Dylan will be born. God is not saying that. When God said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. God is not saying, I had you in my mind and knew that in, in history, at a certain time, you're going to be born to a, a wonderful uh, person, Jillian, and you're going to live in Wentworth, and you're going to go to Grosvenor Boys School, and you're going to uh, fellowship at... Gate Ministries, Durban Central, right? And you're going to be sitting front row. <laughs> God is not saying, I knew the events about you. God is saying, I knew you. Listen to me very carefully. Say subjective. Intimate. 
experiential knowledge. That means you existed even before you were born. The fact that you came, like in your body, as a baby born on the planet, does not mean that started, that was the, the start of your existence. You only simply put on flesh, because I believe your spirit had matured. And in the predetermined will of the Lord, you had to come upon the earth at a particular point in, in time. So Dylan, let me talk to Dylan. And I'm talking to Dylan, but I'm talking to everybody else. Before God formed you in your mother's womb, God knew you. And God is saying, I, I was intimately involved with you. I was involved with you experientially by experience. Right? And so you existed before you were born. Now listen carefully. In that season, God set your identity. So you would say to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you and I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. God is saying, I set both your identity and your function way before you came to be born on the earth. We know that through sin, identity and purpose um, have been messed up by the enemy. What we're doing now in the apostolic is a restoration of who we are and what we ought to do. So what do we need to get back to? God's original blueprint for our lives. We need to get back to the way God originally thought about us in His mind. And God's preconceived notion for you, He always wanted you to be His son. Sonship encapsulates a whole range of attributes regarding who you should be in God and what He has called you to do. It's all-encompassing. To each church in Revelation, God would come in a particular way to reveal Himself. To Gideon, He came in a particular way to empower Gideon. To Abram, He would come as the Lord is provision when Abram was about to sacrifice. God came to men in the Old Covenant in particular strengths of His attribute to bring to those people certain aspects of His nature so that they would be strong to accomplish purpose. But in our economy, it's different. God is only coming one way, and in that one way, in it is everything He is. If you can access the one thing, it's like a pin code. It's a key. You open up a world to all that is of God. And that nature in which He comes to us, He's coming to us as Father. Everyone say Father. He's coming to us as Father. Do you know what is... In God's mind, this is how he thinks. If I want to raise and develop sonship, I manifest father. If I want to, I'm say it again, if I want to raise sonship, I display fathering. That is why even in Malachi 4, it says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their sons. Then the hearts of? Which is first? Sons to fathers or fathers to sons? No, it's first in, in, in order. It's fathers to sons and then sons to Fathers, God's been challenging me. Um, if I want to see a new breed of sonship develop, all I must do is demonstrate fathering. Demonstrate and portray, represent Him in His fathering disposition. Sons are raised in response to a fathering presence. But now, the particular disposition of sonship that God is raising up is firstborn son. Everyone say firstborn. God is raising up. He's saying... 
I'm coming to you as father so that I can awaken in you not just the fact that you are my son, but that you are my firstborn son. Everyone say identity. And your identity, how God is going to be, is going to depend upon how God comes to you. How God comes to you. On page two. I put a little diagram in the middle of the page there. Christ increasing and I am decreasing. This is from John 3.30. Many people inaccurately quote. They actually misquote. I must decrease and he must increase. I've heard this thing quoted so many times inaccurately in meetings, in forums. I've seen it on Facebook. Uh, misquoted, misrepresented. John did not say, I must decrease and he must increase. Correctly quoted, John said, he must increase, but, everyone say but, he must increase, but I must decrease. In other words, it's different. If you say, I must decrease and he must increase, as opposed to what the scripture says, he must increase and I must decrease. If you say, I must increase and I must decrease and he must increase, you are saying, I have to do something to enlarge him. Whereas the opposite, if he increases and I decrease, what you are saying is, my decrease is only a natural response to him increasing. I literally have to do nothing to decrease except allow him to increase. Because if he increases, he will diminish me. Ezekiel, remember the river that he saw that flowed from the throne? It was first ankle deep then, knee then, waist, and then there were rivers too, swimming. The point being this, the deeper you go in the river, the less of the flesh you see. The deeper you go in God, the less I see of you. And the more I see of him. Do you remember the high priest? Right? We, we are reteaching now that we are not just priests in God, but we are high priests. We've been studying and talking at our DIA forum every Wednesday morning about the high priesthood. And you know, in my study of this, it's amazing. When you study the, the apparel of the high priest, he had, to be, he had to wear specific clothing. God was highly detailed in what, what he had to wear, the quality of the cloth, how it should be uh, prepared, literally from head to toe. But if a high priest walked in here, guess what? Literally the only flesh you would see is his face. Maybe his hands. The guy was covered from top to bottom. God was demonstrating the fact that it's not you. You have to be attired. And you know clothing represents mantles of, an, of anointing. Clothing represents empowerment. It represents grace. And God had to make sure the high priest you know, that guy was so kitted out. He was actually heavy. If you do it literally, this guy wore stuff. And his movements were very slow. Picture, Thamo says, if, if a high priest walks in the context of Israel, it was like God walking in their midst. He literally was. And to see his clothing, the meticulous nature in which this guy was kitted out, it was literally God walking amongst them. That's why he was held in such high esteem in the nation okay 
the deeper you go in God, the more you diminish. The more He increases, the more you decrease. But now listen to, to me. For Him to increase in you, He must increase to you. It's a difference. For Him to increase in you, He must increase to you. So how does God increase to you? All I'm saying is, you must just open up your eyes to see Him. And how does He reveal Himself to you? He reveals Himself to you from the Scriptures. In other words, the more you see of Him, the more of Him increases in you. The more of Him increases in you, the less of you is seen. You and I all have remnants of the Adamic nature in us. We all have a residue of orphanity. Orphanity from the word orphan. The orphan mindset, the orphan disposition is at a residual level in all of us. I don't think in the global church it's thoroughly expunged from any son of God as yet. We've done, there's been great work done in this respect from the migration from an orphan to a son. But we all exhibit orphan tendencies from time to time. What's an orphan? An orphan is one with no father. And many sons of God act like they don't have God as their father sometimes. You know what I'm talking about, right? So um, that orphanity in us has got to be thoroughly expunged. And I'm saying, listen carefully, I believe God is coming to us as Father to raise up Christ in us as firstborn. Romans 8 said, 8, 28 and 29, Now we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and to those that are called according to His called according to his purpose. And the rest of the verse, I just forget the wording, just help me a bit there. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined that to be conformed to the image of his son, that he would be the firstborn in, not among, in many brethren. Right? So what is God's desire? God wants to conform every single one of you to the image of His Son. Paul would say this, I travail in birth until Christ is formed in you. Do you know what my passion is for all of you? For all of you. My passion is that Christ must be formed, fully formed in each of you. What aspect of Christ do I want to see now being fully formed in each of you? The fact that He, Christ, is firstborn Son. This verse says, you must be conformed to that image because He wants to be firstborn in all of you, in many brethren. It's not so much about you trying to be firstborn. It's simply allowing Him to be it in you. Right? This puts, takes the pressure off you, but it demands of you that you submit to Him becoming all He is in you. You see, He is the firstborn Son. And whatever He is, I'll talk more to this on Wednesday, whatever He is, He wants us to be. But us being it is not so much a striving on our part to be it as much as it is an allowance by us, 
to take over and be all He is in us. In that way, He increases in me and every residual bit of the orphan will diminish. Let me say it again. Christ increases, I decrease. How is Christ being formed and being increased now? He's being formed as the firstborn son. As that reality grows, every bit of the orphan in you will be diminished. It's all about your, your thought processes. And so, I want to encourage you to allow Him. You know why? We need to restore our identity in God. And so we must permit God to become all that He desires to do and to be, rather, in, in us. I would say, even rest a bit, without reneging or compromising on your faithfulness, don't be too busy doing. And you have no time to be. Many people are doing and expecting results from that process. But you are performing with a dented identity. And so your results are not as what you would expect it. Because you are functioning from a works-oriented position. Where you always have to be seen to be doing, 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 doing. Dr. Segi jokingly said, you are not called a human doing. You are called a human being. In other words, be before you do. What you do is only powerful if it flows from an identity that's solidly in place. Jesus took 30 years to get this right. At 12, he thought he was ready. God shut the program down. Remember at 12, where was Jesus? In the temple talking to Pharisees and scribes. Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents, shut the program down by God's permission. And then later, there's 18 silent years. Six plus six plus six equals 18. So 18 represents, what does six represent? The number of man. Three represents completeness. Six times three is 18. Six is man, three is completeness. What God was doing in Jesus' life is bringing completeness of the divine to his humanity in that time. But it required one thing. The Bible says when Mary and Joseph spoke to him, Jesus subjected himself to them. Everyone say subjected. Listen carefully. Every one of you needs a voice. You need the voice of a spiritual father to speak into your life. Otherwise, listen carefully, you're gonna, you're gonna, you might think that you are ready. You even might be aware as to what to do. Because Jesus said this when they asked him, where were you? His response is, did you not know? You know, I, I saw this video on, on Facebook the other day, yesterday or in the week, about this boy who was arguing with his mother. Ranting and raving. Linda, 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 Linda. I want to write a comment there if you were my child. <laughs> you must see it. And this three-year-old is arguing with an adult as though he's on the same level. Right? Now when Mary and Joseph came to Jesus, say, hey, bro, you know three days is three days. If my daughter goes missing for three minutes, I'm in a panic. They couldn't find the boy for not three hours. 
This is three solid days. Think of the frame of mind in which Mary and Joseph was. They must have been boiling with anger. When they come, Israel has the audacity to say, Oh, didn't you know? Jesus said, Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Mary said, Yeah, fine, but your father, this Joseph, your father and I were looking for you. In other words, you are functioning illegally, even though you know what to do, you are spiritually equipped, you are spiritually aware as to your destiny, but it's premature. But you need a voice. Next verse. Jesus didn't argue. There was no video that could be put on Facebook for this one. Jesus simply said, the Bible says, next verse. And he, like this, subjected himself to them. That's Luke 2, I think, 40 or so. He subjected himself. Subject means to put hupo tasso. Hupo means under. Tasso means right arrangement. To put one's life in right arrangement. That's what Mary and Joseph did to Jesus. Put his life in right arrangement. You know, I'm so glad for the voice of a spiritual father. Puts my life in right arrangement. And listen carefully. 18 years is a long time. You don't read or hear of Jesus. All he learned, the Bible says, he learned obedience by the things he experienced or, or suffered. Son though he were. You know, you know that verse in, in Hebrews? Where it says, son though he were. He learned oh, obedience by the things he suffered. The word suffered there literally means happenings. Doesn't mean like sufferings as we know it. It alludes primarily to experience, the things he experienced. And I believe that verse was a commentary on the 18 years. Son though he was at 12, he knew I get too much. He had to learn obedience by the things he suffered. Then at 30, and 30 is the number of maturity, the heavenly father said, This is my son in whom I am. Well, please, from that point onwards, listen carefully. Jesus is ready. The Father affirms identity. You are my son. Hey, I tell you. You know, if the Lord had to speak to me, that's all I want to hear. I don't want major prophecies. You know, if just for the Heavenly Father. Now think about this for yourself. Would like God to come to you tonight? And, and the Lord says to you, I, I give you 30 seconds for you to hear my order. Not 30, let's say 15. Because some of you want a long story. Right? I'll give you 15 seconds for you to hear my audible voice. What would you like me to tell you about yourself? What would I want to reveal about you? Anything. Persons, the events of your day, your marriage, your future, what? Just I'll give you 50. All I would want to hear. I just want to hear the words. You are my son. My beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. You see, God could have spoken much about the destiny of Jesus. There was much to do. There was much in his mind. How is... How is this cross thing going to play itself out? I know I've been born to die. You know, there's much in his mind. But all God, God the Father knew, if I'm going to empower my son to execute my purpose, I won't tell him what he has to do. All I will do is affirm him in his identity. If he's got that right, there's nothing that he will not be able to accomplish. That's Matthew 3. Matthew 4, he is led by the devil by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Three temptations. How does Satan start each one? If you are the Son. 
If you are the son. If, what is the devil? The devil knows if I can dent him where his father just affirmed him, I can neutralize him. And Jesus overcame every single one. And you know, that satanic strategy has not changed. The enemy is still attacking people in their identity, how they think about themselves in God. Amen. Say it with me. I am God's son. Come on, say it with affirmation. I am God's son. I am God's firstborn son. That is the affirmation that God wants to give every single one of you. But what I'm saying to you, that Christ, He's the firstborn son. He wants to increase that dynamic within you. As He increases, you see Him, however you see Him as you become like. As He increases to you in this way, He will increase in you in this way. As He increases, every trace of the orphan in you will decrease to the place where it's reduced to absolutely nothingness. Amen? That is why Jesus, you know when you read the Gospels, Jesus is the most coolest dude on the planet. Read his story. He walking, preaching, people trying to trip him up with heavy questions, trying to entrap him with different scenarios, literally even tried to kill him several times. He's like so cool, calm, collected. You know why? I can just picture. You know, he was never in a hurry. He was just cool, doing He was so solidly affirmed in, I know who I am. Listen carefully. Who was Jacob's firstborn son in the natural? Reuben. He was disqualified from firstborn son status. Why? Because he slept with his father's concubine. He slept with Jacob, his father's concubine, committed an act of sexual promiscuity, and God said disqualified from being firstborn. Firstborn status then went to the firstborn of Rachel. Remember, he had two wives. Reuben was Leah's firstborn. So in the order of things, um, Levi, I think, was Simeon, was second. Simeon, I think, did not, even they were disqualified when you read their prophecies because of the violence, Simeon and Levi in their hands. Remember when he prophesied over them? So the firstborn privilege went from Reuben, the firstborn son of Leah, to Joseph, the firstborn son of the second wife, Rachel. That's why Joseph wore the coat of many colors. Thamo taught us this. The coat wasn't just given because he liked and loved him more than the others. The coat was given because Jacob knew, even knew prophetically, this boy would function as the firstborn. So I accord him firstborn status and privilege. And that's why the brothers hated him. That's why they were really, they were so, so, so jealous of him. So Joseph arises and he functions as, 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 as firstborn. He functions in a very solid identity that I am the firstborn. And guess what? You can try to lie about me. You can try to sell me for 20 pieces of silver. You can do all sorts of things. You can lie to my father about me. You can put me in a pit. Even the wife of the ruler of the land, Potiphar's wife, can connive and plot and misrepresent me at the highest levels. I will always emerge out strong because I know who I am. I know what God said to me. 
Your brothers will bow before you. Moon and sun and stars will bow before you. Remember the, the sheaves all bowed before him. He knew what he, who he was, and within any context, nothing fazed him. I want to encourage you, brethren. Nothing can touch you. I'll talk later about the immunity and firstborn Sancho. Remember, Israel was God's firstborn. God killed the firstborn of Egypt. But the firstborn of Israel was always preserved in the crisis. Tell your neighbor, you will always be preserved. I declare that no matter what the enemy has contrived against you, that that will not succeed. Your destiny in God is absolutely secure. But you must not bow to the pressure when, when you are in certain circumstances. Your identity is your safety. I know who I am in God. Even tell yourself in the threat of physical danger, I won't even die prematurely because my identity is so strong. They tried to kill Jesus so many times. It did not succeed before the scheduled time because he functioned with the sense of identity and purpose. Joseph always emerged victorious. Joseph is, we're going to do an intense case study of him later on. He is, for me, one of the best examples of how a firstborn son should operate. His attitude towards his brothers, his attitude towards his father, his attitude towards his enemies, his understanding of the purposes of, of God. Amen? And so we will look at that. So tell your neighbor, Christ is increasing in us. Amen. He's increasing in us as the firstborn son of God. Page four. Page four. Just a quick scenario. Again, we are still, this is essentially session one. And um, I want to give you a brief overview of Jesus as the firstborn. Because we are being fashioned as the firstborn according to the standard that he represents. First thought that he lived with a specific mindset regarding his identity and status. He knew who he was. The firm grip he had on who he was was probably the greatest secret to his success. His firstborn reality was rooted in the knowledge of his father's love and care. Wherever Jesus walked, he walked with unswerving conviction and confidence that my father loves me. Right? Anything I need will be placed at my disposal so long as I execute my Father's will. He came as the exact representation of His Father. His nature, character, and sense of function or purpose mirrored that of His Father. His identity, nature, and destiny flowed directly from an intimate and dependent relationship with His Father. Everyone say dependent. Firstborn sons know their dependence upon the father. No identity of a son is spawned from in itself. It is always derived from the father. If you take away a father out of a family, it is possible that children in the family may grow up with a warped sense of who they are. Fathering by nature empowers children as to who they are. Mothers are very important too, but there's something about a father that gives impetus and strength to who people are in Christ. Amen? And David kills Goliath. But the question is, whose father is he? 
because they know the principle. Your identity is vested in Jesse, the Ephratite, as we read this morning. Right? Fruitful. David, you are successful because of where you come from. Your identity is not um, derived in and from with your, within yourself. It's derived from the Father. The more the fathering nature of God is unveiled to you, the more your sonship will uh, be released and find full maturity in God. What you need to develop your sonship is a full of you of the Father, your Heavenly Father. When that happens, your sonship will grow in leaps and bounds. He was fully aware of his rights and his privileges. Just quickly through this. He came with a clear mandate and function. Everyone say firstborn sons are purpose oriented. And that we're only going to discuss later on in the series. What I'm busy with in the first part of the series is to develop the mentality of firstborn. Later on, I will show you from the scriptures, now that you know who you are, it's not just for personal benefit. There's a huge sense of responsibility, accountability, and function that you must now express in the earth. Because many people, when they do the firstborn study, they only want to know, tell me what's in it for me. What are the privileges? What's my status? Those are all good, and we will discuss those, especially in the first part of this. But as we be doing that, because once your identity is solidly in place, you must now pursue your destiny. Destiny flows from I, identity. Amen? And we will discuss that. He was fully aware of the satanic scheme to destroy the firstborn reality within him. Thus, he overcame temptation and he did not forfeit firstborn status, privilege, and function by not being faithful to the nature, character, responsibility, and obedience attendant with the, with the firstborn. By his individual commitment to obedience, Jesus set uh, to his Father's will in all things, Jesus set a pattern for many other sons. He always had others at the forefront of his mind in applying himself personally to any spiritual activity. This I want to stress, and I will illustrate it with three or four examples in a separate study. Listen to the principle. What are we doing? Again, I want to remind you, I'm simply throwing out seed, sketching in broad outlines what firstborn son encapsulates. One of the powerful principles of a firstborn is this. He is always aware of others. Everyone say others. In fact, Jesus, he functioned with this express idea. By what I'm doing, I'm actually setting the pattern. I'm setting the model. I'm establishing the prototype for others to walk in the same degree where I have walked. Firstborn sons never function without deep concern for the brothers in the house. And it's incumbent upon you as firstborn, if you come up to this reality, that you have a corporate mindset, a concern for others. Amen? In your sphere of, of influence. Everyone say, head son. Jesus was aware of his placement as the head son, senior brother in the family of God. Did you know that Jesus is not just God's son? He's your big brother. Hmm? Hebrew says, I'll talk more about this on Wednesday. Hebrew says, he, the son, is not ashamed to call us brothers. Eh? 
Now, please wrap your, th- your religious mind around that concept. Right? Jesus is my brother. Yes, he's my God, my Savior, but he's also my brother. Amen? He's my big brother, born from the same womb, having the same father, and wants to bring many sons to glory. Amen? So, the firstborn, listen carefully to what firstborn means in the natural. When the father dies, guess what? Of all the sons, the one born first steps up and he acts in headship over the family in the absence of his father. So the firstborn always has this thing in his mind. He always functions and he positions himself as a senior brother amongst the brothers. Not to elevate himself over everyone, but he functions with this thinking. I have got to consistently set the example and the pattern for everybody else to follow. Now, if you just get that right, what did Paul say to Timothy? Be an example to the believers in all things. In word, in doctrine, in purity, in speech. Set an example. Mm -hmm. Can I urge this house to start to practice these firstborn principles? In other words, you be the pioneer in every area. If you want to say, if, if, if I ever want to encourage other sons to be punctual at meetings, let me set the example. Let me demonstrate to everybody how firstborn son, sons function. Let me demonstrate how firstborn sons forgive when hurt. Let me demonstrate how firstborn sons study the word. Let me demonstrate how firstborn sons embrace the vision of the Father. I will demonstrate it to the rest. Tell your neighbor, become a demonstrator. This is part of your firstborn, firstborn reality. Page five, quickly as we close. I know we'll never get to session two, simply because of, of time. Throughout our discourse as well, we are going to discuss how Israel was God's firstborn. Israel as the nation was God's firstborn son. God called the whole nation, you are my firstborn okay we read this in exodus 4 22 you shall say to pharaoh thus says the lord israel is my son my my firstborn okay israel is my son my firstborn son and in numbers three thirteen, from all the firstborn are mine on the day that i struck down all the firstborn in the land of egypt i sanctified to myself all the firstborn of Israel, from man to beast, they shall be mine, I am the Lord. What God is saying there is, when I struck the firstborn of Egypt, I sanctified Israel as my firstborn. Now, for God to release Egypt from Egyptian slavery, Uh, Israel from Egyptian slavery. God had to literally um, kill the firstborn of Egypt. There were two processes happening simultaneously. Killing the firstborn of Egypt and releasing the firstborn of Israel. Everyone say, in the day. In other words, in the day I struck them down, I brought my firstborn out. So listen carefully. Everyone say, crisis. There was a lot of crisis on that day. It was global crisis. Egypt was the superpower of their day. God judges a nation and there's global calamity. Plagues and all sorts of terrible things going on. But the day of crisis was the release of an identity. 
usually for God to extract who you are, He creates crises in your life. In order to kill any false representation of the firstborn in you, an Egyptian mindset. In order to bring out to you and bring you out from that realm, so you can come out in terms of your true, authentic firstborn status in Him. God has got to expunge the Egyptian principle in you. God is killing the Egyptian principle in you. So that through crisis, He might lead you out. Remember God says in Hebrews 12, I will shake the heavens and the earth once more. I will shake heaven and earth. And God is doing a lot of shaking presently. And let me just say this. Son though he was, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. You will suffer and suffer until you learn the lesson. Let me say this. You will continue suffering until you learn the lesson. God will revisit the same trial almost year in, year out. Until you learn from that crisis, God was trying to teach me certain things which I did not learn when the crisis was. I feel really strongly to say this. I can teach much. I've got two sets of notes. I'm just speaking prophetically to you. I'm saying for us, some of you almost had the carpet pulled out from under you. Your world almost came to an end. It was a day of crisis. Thama often says, you can change crisis into a kairos. The day of crisis can become the day of divine opportunity, all dependent upon how you react in that day. Israel came out with a mighty hand. All the drama was about one fact. I want to bring an identity to Israel. I call them my firstborn. Think about it, brethren. All the drama attendant with the release of Israel from Egypt was for one purpose and one purpose only. To entrench a mindset in his people as firstborn. Yes, it was about releasing them from Egypt and there was a prophecy given to Abram in Genesis 14, remember? They shall be in bondage for God told Abram, even before the nation was formed, they will be in bondage. And after 400 years, I will release them. There was all that. But you know, the main agenda in God's heart in bringing Israel out of Egypt, He says, I will strike your firstborn. In the day I strike them, I release my firstborn. And think about them. They're a mentality of slavery for 400 years. God was about to change a long-standing identity to a corporate group of people. I said this last week, and I'm amazed God is not permitting me. I feel the restraint. could go here easily. I feel the restraint. God says, don't rush there, because they haven't learned the lesson yet. God is saying to you again this week, change, brethren. Change the long-standing perception that you have of yourself, of your family. Even stop commenting and saying, it's part of who we are as a family. My family is just like this, so this is, how we, how, this is the way we operate. Stop even saying that. What you are saying is, I refuse to come into my true status and identity in God. God is wanting to change a long-standing view that you have about yourself. God is saying, listen carefully, if we don't change it by impartation of grace, by virtue of what we are hearing, God is saying simple, 
The only other methodology I have to use is crisis. And maybe in the moment of your crisis, you will emerge into what you should be. Let me ask you this. Are you going to wait for the next major catastrophe of your life for you to change? I appeal, I'm not going, I'm not teaching, I'm appealing to you as a father prophetically. What more must happen for you to start changing? What, what, what more calamity must God allow? And God, the Bible says uh, that, 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 that God says, I have a blacksmith too. God says, I will use my blacksmith on you. Chisel away at you. right? Carve at you. Because I need to teach you certain lessons. If you don't learn by instruction, God has to teach you by experience. And God is saying to all of us very clearly, and saying to me, Randolph, Start to master these things now and don't wait for crisis for you to emerge into your firstborn status. God has a way of putting us in the furnace, eh? To, do, to, to refine this fire. And we all can't escape suffering. But we can limit the degree of our suffering somewhat if we simply cooperate obediently with the principles of the word of the Lord. Amen? In closing, I want to read Hebrews on page 7. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 22 above alludes to the fact that the church is called the church of the firstborn. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, Myriads of angels, the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men, or just men made perfect. So the church, I think this is probably the most powerful description of the church. The fact that the church is called the church of the firstborn. We are God's firstborn sons. Christ is the firstborn And the descriptor of Christ is also given to us as the church. We are the church of the firstborn. But I want to read it in context. So let's read from verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom, and a whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken. This was a sign I remember. So there was fear attendant with the sign I experienced. For they could not bear the command. If a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But, everyone say but. He says, but you have come, Right? That, that's a separate experience. Mount, Zion was an ex- Mount Sinai was an experience of law. It was an experience of, of, of trembling, of fear, of a lack of intimacy. No one could approach. But the writer of the book of Hebrews throws a comparison with that. And he says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous of the righteous made 
perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better things than the blood of, of Abel. What I want to stress, our firstborn reality to which we must come, says, but you have come. Everyone repeat after me, I have come to this reality. Regard, even no matter where you are in understanding it, imbibing it, and living it, I want to declare this over you, that you have come to this reality. It's there pregnant within you. You have it here and now. You are God's firstborn son. And the thing that's going to prevent your maturation in it is going to be fear, doubt, hesitation, shrinking back. And so that's why I wrote the paragraph, without fear, hesitation, doubt, unbelief. Forget your past experiences of failure. Expunge any remorse and regret. Break off any negative mindset of guilt and condemnation. Migrate from your previous levels of success or failure. And in confident faith and expectant hope that Ngama spoke about, believe with me that you would be, in your subjective experience, amount to God's desire for you to be His firstborn. You are about to access a whole new world and reality in God. It demands that you forget, listen, I'll say this very carefully, forget the past failure. Forget the negative experiences of the past. Forget where you've messed up. I believe God is wanting to thrust us in to a brand new expectation, realization of His nature in us. And that is, his, we are, the, are His firstborn. Um, he wants to bring us forth again, I believe. He wants to bring us forth by the word of truth. That's what James teaches. You are brought forth by the word of truth. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of, Peter says, incorruptible by the word of God. Every time you hear a word, a new birth can take place. Right? Repeat after me. I am brought forth by the word of truth. So I am born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. I'm saying all of that to say this. Every time you hear a word, you can have a born-again experience. Right? You can have a new birth experience. And you, God can birth you into a dimension of Himself that He's bringing to you. You are not less than. You're not inferior. Um, you're not a victim of your circumstances. Tell yourself, I'm God's firstborn son. My identity is strong. I know who I am. You can put me in any context. My context won't define me. God's word defines me. Right? My circumstances don't tell me who I am and what I can do. Right? My background, my, my family lineage, my economic status, my social status, where or where I don't school, where or where I don't work. All of these things mean nothing to define me who I am. And guess what? If you do this, I want to encourage you. Everything in your world, in the universe, will start to recognize you and take note. Yay! There's a firstborn son of God arising in the earth. Right? There's a firstborn reality arising. Jesus is the firstborn of creation. I'll talk about this on, on Wednesday. He's called the firstborn from the dead. 
He's called a first fruit of God. The Spirit is also called the first fruit of our redemption. God is looking for a first among many. And you can be that first in your world. I want to prophesy over you. Gama, you've got a great, 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 great destiny. You become the first in your field, whatever God is leading you into. Brandon, I really believe you are going to be a powerful voice to others where they are so messed up and they're confused about their own identity. God's going to raise you up as a voice to help others, to, to reinstate others as to who they are going to be in God. You're going to emerge, brother. Mark my words. You'll almost be like a, like a, like a, they call them motivational speakers. You know when they go in and they give presentations to try and motivate, but not motivational speaking as in a motivational speaker, right? You, God's going to anoint your words to when you see inaccurate representation of identity in people. You will speak a word and God will cause you to configure rightness in how they feel about themselves. Amen. And God's going to raise many of us. I just feel in your sphere. I, w- I was blessed with uh, Joash's, I saw Joash's pic on Facebook. You saw that? Came second at the KZN champs, silver medalist. Hmm? My first impression was, first born. God's going to raise many, and many of our children are doing extremely well in so many different respects. You know what's happening? God is giving us tangible, visible demonstrations of an excellence that is coming to the house. I want to encourage all of you, Jamie and Lauren, all the girls here in your respective fields, Andy, Lisa. Um, Lisa, at the back, your, your son, his name is? What's your name? Sorry, Sharon. Sinead, how old are you? 17. You speak like you are a president. <laughs> okay. Right? Maybe you are presidential in your disposition, but you have a great future. You have a great future ahead of you. Don't shrink back from anything God's going to lead you into. You walk in, you're still schooling? You walk in your class, or, or especially when you start pursuing your tertiary education, walk tall. Chris, you always had it. Just, 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 just carry on. <laughs> just we, all our young people, look in your world, wherever you are. Liam, man, look at those two handsome young men at the back there. You don't want to look up? When I want to smile, I just look up. Just everybody just look back there. Come on, let's just focus on them. Let's make them feel very uneasy right now. Focus. And they're doing such an excellent job up there. They sit there so quietly and recording and sorting the sound out. And uh, often I glance, I say, hey, it's well, it's well up there. But they, they have such powerful stateliness. There's a stateliness. You know, when I look at the entirety of this congregation, all of you, I don't want to waste time by calling all your names out. There's a dignity, a stature, an excellence that you all have in the Spirit. Right? You're going to be top of your world. And it's not going to be for any sense of pride. But God's going to use you mightily. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Thank God for the fact that you are His firstborn in Christ. Amen. The Lord richly bless you.